Listening to the LWDG Pod Dog with me, Joanne Parrott. I am the founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. Every single week, I will be talking with our community about how you can improve your relationship with your dog and with a community of women just like you. Don't forget that you can win some prizes every single week with our giveaway. All you need to do to be in with a chance of winning is take a picture of yourself listening to this episode of the podcast, share it on your Instagram stories, and tag us at the Ladies Working Dog Group. And if you want to, share your biggest takeaway from this episode with us too, because we'd love to hear what you think. Every single week we go through and we pick a winner and someone wins something exciting from our shop. So definitely get involved if you want to win something. But for now, enjoy this episode. You can do this and we are here to show you how. This week we're going to be talking all about shoot day success and what it takes to take a dog into a new environment. Joining me on this week's call are... Hi, my name is Claire Denya and I'm from Family Dog Services based in Maidstone in Kent. Hi, I'm Emma Stevens. I run Cunning Shot Dog Training based in the East Midlands. Hi, I'm Gemma Martin, one half of Whistle and Wag Dog Training based in Suffolk. Hi, I'm Abby Reid. I run uh, River Lily Working Dogs based in Hertfordshire. Hi, I'm Sam. I run Languedoc Gun Dogs based in Gloucestershire. For myself, like... I've taken Buddy out two Fridays. The first Friday was his first time. And I expected him to be like a bag of nerves. He's never been with all that many people on a wagon, people with sticks, people with flags. And he just took it all in his stride. And I was like, oh, my God, you were like perfect. Came away, I was beaming. Took him the following Friday. He was like, yeah, come on, let's do this. I was like, oh, my God, this is like a dog of a lifetime. He's like, just got this. This is going to be a dream. They asked me to go yesterday. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll go. That's no problem at all. I turned up and my really, really, really good dog, I knew this would happen because Samantha had already told me, but he sort of went, yeah, yeah, I know what I'm doing now, ma'am. You can like just leave. And at one point I found myself in a maze crop shouting, has anybody seen my dog? To hear another chap say to me, it's okay, Joe, he's over here with me. And I'm like, that's not okay because he really should be, over here with me and I just thought oh and I know I'm the experts a little bit about what that is and why it happens but I really think it's something that if everybody's happy to have a little chat about it and how it relates what first of all I think I know why he did it but let's hear from the experts we'll do like the handy up thing right why did my dog decide I didn't need to be there anymore who wants to go first Look at you all laughing. Emma, do you want to come off mute? Um, so I always say this to clients that actually it's usually the second season when you have trouble with your dogs. Um, the first season, everything's so new to them that they tend to kind of almost be a little bit overwhelmed um, by the whole experience. So they actually behave and pay attention to you and trust you and all of that whereas the second season or even it can happen in the first season once they get going a couple of times and especially if they're going kind of back to back on the bounce going back like day to day and things and they kind of go yeah I know what I'm doing now um so I don't I don't really need you and it's usually because of the way we've actually trained them we train them to 
remember things and build a memory chain of commands and behaviors and situations that mean that actually when we put them in that situation they remember it very very quickly which then ends up being kind of our Achilles heel as such because they've actually remembered what we've what we've taught them to do and then they take it upon themselves to go yeah I know what I'm doing now this is way more fun and I don't actually need to be handled just another just another thing as well is that we've so we've been doing this with our spaniel groups on a Sunday um we've actually been taking them and using them for dogging in and doing it as a beating line just to get dogs used to it and what we've said to everybody is your dog doesn't need to be hunting for it to be effective on a shoot day it doesn't need to be off lead quartering out in front of you to be effective especially in the early parts of the season a dog at heel with you in a cover crop would be as effective if not more effective at flushing birds at the right time at the right pace in the right numbers than a dog in a cover crop hunting out in front of you and possibly ranging too far and you then having to shout it back and things so it might be also thinking about what terrain you're on what kind of drive you're doing what birds you're flushing partridge flush very differently to pheasant and kind of just being a bit more and this goes for everybody, like a bit more educated on the ground terrain and what's expected of you on that drive so that you handle your dog appropriately for that drive um, as well. And if you know they're ranging too far ahead, bring them back and heal them off lead for, for 10, 15 minutes part of that drive. If you know the, the drives as well and you know you're getting close to the flush points and things like that, again, pull them back off of that and bring them back at heel. When you are hunting them, watch 30, 40, 50, 60, maybe even yards ahead of where your dog actually is, because that's where birds are moving. If you're seeing a lot of birds moving and a lot of terrain moving, not necessarily actually being able to see the dog, but the terrain's moving, you know, there's a lot of either birds there or there's a dog really far away from you. So those sorts of things, actually looking further ahead and kind of preempting situations before they happen can can make a massive difference as well. One of the things that I've noticed with some of my clients' dogs is different shoot days with different shoot etiquette um, is one of the things that makes a big difference. So some dogs can be really under control and understand the job when they sit and they wait until the end of the drive. And then at the end of the drive, they're sent for the birds. It's much more controlled. And I know this is something that we're working with with Joe with Nero at the minute. When he, the dog sometimes is in situations where, let's say, you've had to set on some shoots, they will want you to pick as the shoot is still going as well. So different shoots work very differently. And if the dog's already out on a retrieve and they're still shot firing, that's a huge distraction. Um, if there's another bird falling, that's a huge distraction. If the dog's already other birds down, that's a huge distraction. So they're all things that we have to um, obviously prepare the dog for and train for as much as we possibly can. Um, and it's very difficult to recreate that level of arousal that happens on a shoot day in a training scenario. So that's something that as a trainer, we have to be quite creative to create is those sorts of scenarios of flushing, of simulated runners, of things that actually are going to happen in real life. So it's prepping the dog as much as you can for those scenarios and understanding different shoot, different etiquette on different shoots when you send the, the dogs, when you don't, and preparing your dog for each of those scenarios. 
I was going to say it's a lot to do with the mental and emotional state of the dog as well. So I'm a big advocate for not taking a dog on a shoot until they're at least two years old. They might be physically capable. Their training might be at a really decent standard. But I don't think emotionally many dogs are ready before they hit that age. Um, And obviously it's dependent on the dog and the breed and everything else as well. But that's my sort of generic barrier, if you like, or age range. Buddy is at times quite young mentally. So whereas his training is at a really, really good place, he is slightly inclined to get carried away with himself at times. Um, And that will be partly why he was fantastic the first couple of days and then subsequently went, actually, I'm getting a bit excited. I know what the day is all about. I'm just getting a bit carried away with myself here because his mental state isn't quite as tuned as it could be, if that makes any sense. That makes complete sense because, like, he'll be three in November, but obviously because of COVID year and the year the dad was passing, the first two years, they, they didn't do what they needed to do. And they are a little bit behind, I think, on their training. It is really, really hard, isn't it, for a, a novice handler? So I would still say I'm a novice handler, even though probably people would say, well, you've been a little bit more. But we have had that big gap. It is really hard for a novice handler to know what, like, Emma saying, terrain, what are you flushing, like... For me, there's everywhere I look as, as a novice, there's pheasants and partridge blinking everywhere. And they are literally everywhere, right? So for um, starting a new season with a, an immature dog rather than a young dog, I find it all a little bit overwhelming. Now, is it a case of my mind is being blown by it all as well? Yeah, it's just you were saying like, you know, your mind's being blown and like, you know, you've got a little your little mate down there has done all his training. My advice would be go on a shoot without your dog the first couple of times. So just go to, you know what's coming up, you know what's expected, and you need to go home and then say, right, would little buddy be able to cope with this? And then train for it and perhaps go three or four times in where you've been and you've got used to the day. Yeah, and like because we've gone the previous days, like, I definitely think we've sort of thrown ourselves in the deep end a little bit. I love the fact that I see stuff and I love the camaraderie and I love all that. And I'm just like, is it my adrenaline he's picking up? Everybody was telling me the dog was being good. He was pulling ahead a little bit, but he was coming back. Was it a case that I was panicking more? Should I be allowing the dog to have a little bit more, not freedom, but maybe not be so much on top of him? Does that make sense? So I would say... It's not necessarily that you need to give him more freedom, but we personally, when I'm training to quarter, and I'm sure I've said this to you before when we've met, I will train them really, really tight, knowing that when there is all that scent and all those birds and all that excitement out in front of them, they are going to pull out a little bit. And if I train them that little bit further out, then they're going to pull out even further again. Um, The M said earlier about sort of, one season to the next is when you'd quite often see a change and versus the Friday to the Tuesday it's really the same similar or same principle in that he's just had that excitement that enjoyment if you stood me in a candy shop on a Monday and said fill your boots pick what you want and I went really can I and then did and then you put me there again a couple of days later I'd go this was great fun last time. I'm going to get all the sweets I possibly can as quick as I possibly can get them. 
And that's pretty much where Buddy is. He's gone, do you know what? This was amazing. It was awesome. It was fantastic. I want it all. And it's also very easy to get carried away with yourself on a shoot day. And you can be saying to yourself in a very stern tone in the back of your head, must not jump ahead, must not run, need to take this slow, have to keep the focus. And then someone comes along and says, let your dog off. It'll be fine. Go on. Tell them to push on. Go on, let your dog off. And so after they've done that eight, nine, ten times, most people buckle. And even if their sensible head is saying, don't do this, it's not the right thing, they let themselves get led and they get carried away and they buckle and they let their dog off. And then they start to think, oops, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And it's definitely that. I wouldn't say, I, I completely agree with you. There's no pressure, but it's just like, let your dogs off your... It's like a group command. I, to be fair, hand up, I will be honest, I haven't done it. And he's not, touch wood, chased or done anything. He hasn't done anything where, in fact, I don't even think, and I think it's always a good thing, the gamekeeper doesn't know my dog's name. And I think that's always a good sign. Of the, of the people on your own not experts, hands up anybody who's like, I sort of understand where you're coming from with these questions. Is anybody else feeling this when they're taking the dogs out or is it just me? Min, I can see your hands up. Joe, your hands up. So, Min, let's have a chat to you. When you go out with your dog, is it all like, is it just me panicking or or do you feel the pressure I'm on about? You, I feel huge pressure because I think, and I think particularly as ladies, we expect a lot of ourselves with our dog handling. And that's where I did find the mindset masterclass was so good just to make you actually think about it um, but yeah you do feel a pressure and I think you worry I know Joe and I talk about this because we go to the same shoot and yeah you it's not so much worrying but you hate it when you feel you've done something wrong or let your dog down or your dog's not performed and but we I think we do know that we take it much more personally than any of the others don't we Joe? Yeah. Yeah. So, Joe, you could come off mute as well in a minute. So, it's, it's the same type of thing. Yeah. So, obviously, being on the same shoot, you're there to sort of support each other with it all. How do you feel when you're you're, you're out with your dog? Um. Yeah, I feel the same as me, and I feel a lot of pressure to um perform well for myself with my marking and making sure I know where all the birds have come down, and also just yeah that I want my dog to um. Know, be a good part of the team and be a value, you know, be valuable and not sort of be shouted out by the gamekeeper or the shoot captain. And um, and it, I think it's it's I'm putting too much pressure on myself and Min's the same because we're both really good, fairly long term members of the team, and um, we always turn out and do the best job we can. And okay, the dogs aren't always perfect, and we're not always perfect either. But you know. We, we really do try. And I, when I went to training today with Claire, I went with um, our um, picking up team leader came with me today. Um, and I think he was, you know, he was really full of praise for what we do. Um, and, you know, very understanding. And because he knows I'm having issues with Nero, we sort of talked about where to position Nero so that when he's on the shoot, he's in a quiet place without the pressure and we can work on the issues that we're having without getting him like super, super losing his brain. So I think a lot of the pressure comes from ourselves and we and we don't need it to. 
Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. Thank you for sharing that, both of you, because I literally, like, by the end of, of Tuesday, I felt myself, like, sounded like a little bit of a raver with my whistle. I was like, beep, beep. In fact, at the end, I was like, Joanne, I don't even know what you're beeping for now. Then the dog was a little bit like, Joe, chill, you know, think about your training. What do you want me to do? But the, it, it, these are building his name. The dog does something slightly wrong. You get panicked. The dog gets a bit more confused with you. You get panicked. And um, obviously, like, you live this life all day, every day. It's really hard for somebody who doesn't have access to those facilities to constantly be able to recreate it in training to get the dog to a level where it can be on a shoot and be like a fully trained dog. How does somebody work towards that? I think the first thing to think about as well is actually gamekeepers, just like a dog that is sort of un- is controllable, they don't actually, in general, have incredibly well-behaved dogs themselves a lot of keepers don't um and when they do say let your dog off and things it's usually because the guns have actually you've got to think about what's going through a gamekeeper's head on a shoot day um they want a they want a load of steady flushes so that the guns get their shooting and then more often than not they want a massive flush at the end of a drive to show the gun's what they've missed if that makes sense or what could happen if they pay for another day or something like that so lots of the time it's kind of almost that last flush is a, is a bit of a show off um because they've actually had their shooting and they want this big flush as kind of like this kind of display of look we've still got loads of birds on the ground but you've had all your shooting kind of aspect of things so i think try not to get overwhelmed because even if your dog's not on a lead they're going to feel that overwhelmment from you so if you're panicking constantly going my dog's out of control it's gone too far away and you've all got that all going through your head what then also happens is you have a delayed response when they are a little bit too far away because you've got so much going on in your head you can't almost process that your dog's gone too far away and you should have stopped them two three seconds ago or you should have turned them two three seconds ago So I would try and say to people, dump all of that out of your head and just focus on working your dog and watching the terrain in front of you. They're the two biggest things. Don't listen to anybody either side of you in the line telling you, unless it's a keeper that says, push your dog into this, they'll be fine. And even then you can turn around and go, actually, I'm not comfortable with them flushing that many birds that close to the line of guns because there's a big open field next at the other side of that hedge. And if he he pushes through, he's going to see all these birds in a big open space and I'd rather not they will get somebody to come and do it. The last thing they want is a beating dog running straight through the line of the flush point and straight towards the gun line. They won't want that on show. That's not the display that they're looking for. The display they're looking for is a load of birds. So even if you put your dog back on a lead and you flag it or um, bash the bushes down yourself with sticks and stuff like that, you can still get the element of what the keeper wanted without putting your dog at risk. From a training point of view, I would say I agree with what Sam says is that you train for them to be more under control than what you need them to be on a shoot day. So when I train them, when I train my spaniels, I train them very, very tight and I make sure that they hunt in a pattern very, very tight so that when they've got that ground scent, like Sam said, you can afford for them to range a little bit further, but you know that they're still under control. I think some people treat it like a competition in your mind. It's like, oh, my gosh, I have to go. I have to be perfect. And actually, you need to go and you need to be really proud that you're in the beating line or you're in the picking up line. You've done your homework. You've been training. 
you're out with your best friend, your little best four-legged friend, you need to enjoy it. So don't go, oh my God, my dog went wrong. Because actually half the time, I'm sure like, you know, Emma and Samantha and Claire will agree, most people aren't watching you because they're more worried about their own dogs. So, so many people go, oh my God, did you see my dog on that drive? And I'm like, no, because I was watching mine do something naughty over there. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So people sort of wind themselves up a bit. I'm like, do you know what? They'll do the best job they can. Okay, your little dogs. If they go wrong, they go wrong. It's not the end of the world. You know, you just, you know, just go, okay, I've learned from that. This week, I'm going to train this and do that. But you need to go and enjoy it rather than worrying about what everyone else is thinking. That was like, that's, if, that was just like giving me a virtual hug through the computer. I, mean, <laughs> I can't believe how much I moved people. Because what, where you started off this, and I'm sure Joe might agree with me, and maybe Min too, I do actually think a little bit like it's a competition. Yeah. As you said, I thought, oh, that's what I do. I think I have to be absolutely You don't. Perfect. You don't, because you're, you're handling a live animal, you know. And, you, you know, we all know we're not perfect as human beings. It's like your dog's learning the same as you are, you know. So I always liken like dog training and going on a shoot to playing a piano, learning a new piece of music. You're going to get there in the end, but you've got to play a few wrong notes along the way. So if it goes wrong, just you know, take it on the chin, laugh about it. That's what, you know, the camaraderie you're talking about. Oh, do you remember Joe's dog when he did this and he did that? That is like literally it the mindset we need to have so yeah, it enjoy it you need to enjoy it and remember the good things because you're saying oh when my dog ran off in the maze I couldn't see it what you're not telling us about is the other five drives of the day your dog was amazing yeah so as, then, a, as a human you just go oh I'll focus on that one thing that went wrong whereas you should yeah. be telling us oh my god he was amazing turn it around and think oh my gosh he was I took my dog beating it's amazing and he did his best he did what he thought was right at the time uh, yes, love Abby, I love it. I know from my success coaching work, which means I should be able to do this, right? You can't coach yourself. It's, a, it's an absolute fact. You cannot coach yourself. Is the fact that we we are harder sometimes on ourselves than anyone else could be. So if somebody else gives us feedback, like a judge, we probably go, okay, yeah, I can take on board that, or I don't really see that, but I can take it on board because it's coming from somebody else. And if we see that authority as being respectful, we take that, you know, that information, that feedback at, at very high value. If we don't respect somebody and they give us feedback, we potentially, even if their feedback is of value, we, we disregard because we don't respect the authority it's coming from. But then when it's our self-judgment, there is no filter. We don't take on one side. In fact, if anything, we disregard. We don't respect our own feedback. So we use it to sort of beat ourselves up with it. So what um, Abby was saying now, bringing that little bit of that to the mindset, like saying to yourself, well, actually, this isn't a competition. One line like that can completely change your mindset when you do the same activity at the same time. So that's why when Abby said, I was like, oh my God, thank you. Because you can like put that into, that can put that into a memory bank or even into a note and go, right, I'm going to read that again because that's what I need to focus on with this. I always say to my clients that um, keep going to your training classes and keep walking them and training them in between days because teaching that adrenaline to return back there are things that you can do you can't completely make it that your dog can instantly recover because everybody needs to come down from an adrenaline rush but you can train it to become quicker 
um, by almost basically like training an athlete. So you train your mind, you train your body. If they're physically fit and their stamina is being built, their mental state's being built as well at the same time. So the best thing that I can say is even if they look absolutely knackered and they don't want to go for a walk or anything like that, just do something nice and easy, even if it's just sitting them up in the garden and throwing some dummies around them so that you eventually start to teach them to recover really quickly. And that will then help with these days where you continuing to do stuff in the gaps means that his recovery will get quicker, both physically and mentally. Sam, what are your top tips? What what can I be doing to work on ensuring his handling is the best it can be? I would try to keep your usual routine as normal as possible so obviously when you go out for a day it's going to be it's going to throw everything out the water nothing is going to be the same from the minute you get up to the minute you get home his whole day is going to be different but on days that you are having a normal day either you're going to work or you're working from home just try and do what you normally would do so if you normally spend half an hour at 10 o'clock in the morning doing a bit of training use that period so that he's got the the stability I suppose you know this is his normal routine we don't want to throw it out of the water too much but also if you pick up on something on a shoot day for example your stop whistle was a bit slow or your turn whistle wasn't quite as sharp as it could have been you can always revisit those between days picking a beating or or picking up you know, notice what happens on those shoot days. And if you think actually those are our weaker areas, don't pummel the dog with loads and loads and loads of training and too much mental stimulation, but just try to go over them a little bit and try to refine them a little bit in the opportunities that you can. Wow, they're excellent points. Um, Abby, do you have any tips for us apart from your lovely ones about don't take us as a competition and hug yourselves? Yeah, just just a thought, like everyone sort of says, when when like your dogs have been out a few times, they will know your shoot day routine. They will know you'll go and get your game carry, your game bag, and, and they will just know. So my advice would be, if you've got a novice dog, is pack that bag and do that thing four or five times a week, even when you don't go. So your dog does not go, oh, how fabulous, it's shoot day, I need to get excited. Because actually, he won't know actually when you're actually going to go on a shoot. Some people only wear, like, I mean, not me personally, but they wear certain clothes on shoot days. So yeah. if you're one of those people that likes to wear that jacket just on a shoot day and a certain pair of boots, well, put that jacket on and pair of boots on every morning for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Your dog will soon go, oh, it's a bit boring. Nothing happens with that shoot, with that jacket and those pair of boots. Yeah. Okay, so just... Make it a, a normal thing. So at least when they get in the car, they're not uber excited already. Yeah. Yeah, because that's, that's a really valuable point. Carrying on from somebody said about competition, it's not a competition. And entirely that, people are so wrapped up in what their own dogs are doing, they're not really looking at you. And two seasons ago, this is the quick story I was going to tell, two seasons ago, I went to a new shoot for the first time with Indy and I was really, really worried. And the gamekeeper said at the beginning, "Okay, guys, everyone's going to pick up as the birds come down today. We're not waiting till the end. And I was like, oh, okay." And 
Joe, you'll know that's quite a lot of pressure on the dog. <laughs> so I was like, okay, no problem. Well, it became very apparent why. The gamekeeper's dog eats the birds. Really, you had to pick up the birds as fast as they were falling because his dog that flushes, if there's a shot bird, it just eats them. So, <laughs> so it was literally like a race against the clock to get these birds before the gamekeeper's dog saw them. I was literally, I was being all, all poshing, well not posh, but like trying to be all like proper and sat in the up and I've just seen this spaniel swooping in. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> literally guys like just get the job done if that's what they want um but my top tips just read for me it would be two things don't forget your basics while you're going through the shoot season refresh your basics somebody's probably already said this because I haven't been here so you know I'm just probably copycatting someone but refresh your basics keep them really really tidy and clean work on your steadiness in general but also little things that you know on shoot days that your dog is doing that concern you actually address them with your trainer actually say to your trainer this is really bothering me. I think I'm going to have a problem slipping in here. Can we do some stuff to work on this? So two ends of the scale. But for me, that would be my two top tips. Mine, mine aren't ready yet. And I have made that decision that they're not ready. Um, Nika's only one. Red is three. But, <laughs> but we're getting there. Like Abby's comments is, is, has made me feel a little bit better, really, because I think we do see it as competition. And the thought that my dog might flush too many pheasants in one go, I'm just like, oh, no. No, no, that can't happen. But I think, yeah, I probably just need to man up a bit, really. So I think as well, a bit of it is as well, how you've been, um, like, introduced to the sport or how you see the sport. Because, like, again, I know I speak about my dad a lot, but he started all this. My dad is, was a perfectionist, Gem, right? It wasn't, like, literally, they were not allowed by two to put a foot out of line. It wasn't allowed, right? He wasn't cruel, but it was very clear to those dogs. They had one way of doing it, and that was the way. And um, I've been training um, with my uncle, who is very much, looks like my father, acts like my father, trains like my father, is as good as my father. And, like, he, after a train, after, like, the first day, he was on the phone. He was like, how did it go? And I was like, it was good. This is nice. And he was like, yeah, but... What was this like? And what was this like? And like, I'm probably trying to live up to an expectation that they have for themselves 10 or 15 years into this now, not a couple of months or a couple of weeks, or even like, I don't even class myself as doing this for five years because for two years, we couldn't do anything at all. So like for three years, squished together, dealing with everything else, they are further down the road. They chapter their stories much further down the road than mine, isn't it? But I'm judging my dog by their level, not my level. I, I think I've just set my level far too high for myself, but yeah. We, as humans, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And as females, we put even more pressure on ourselves. So it's important to know our limits and to trust our gut instincts as well. If your gut, like Gemma, she has said, my dog's not ready. So she's got to sort of follow that instinct rather than being swayed to go out and do something before she feels her and the dog are ready. Then she's right to say, actually, no, I'm not going out this season. I had a lab who was probably four before he properly started picking up because mentally and emotionally, he just couldn't have coped with the day. And if he'd gone out at two, I'd have spent the rest of his life trying to keep on top of him. 
um, you know, where Buddy and Ella are involved, still think you should have taken Ella. They are <laughs> ready. You know, they need, you're ready and they're ready. They're just two different dogs. So we will speak tomorrow and I will see you again soon. <laughs> but you're, you know, you're doing better, I think, than you think you are. And because you are trying to live up to past expectations from your dad, you've not unfortunately he's not here now for you to bounce ideas across and you know and even if that idea is him giving you a clip around the ear and saying for god's sake joanne why did you do it like that because you can't have that you're trying to have both sides of the conversation with yourself now and again it all comes back to trusting your gut instinct they they are there that is completely right and you i am a mad person <laughs> probably two or four conversations at the same time and um, which doesn't really really help me and um, and one day i will be brave enough to take ella my trainer sam absolutely loves ella more than than buddy and not um, more than in a different way because because ella's classy and they're actually quarters perfectly well so i don't know why i didn't take the dog that can do the job better but um I have a soft spot for Buddy, bless his little heart. So I just need to maybe take her. And if I take her and it all goes wrong, I'll just blame Sam. Because you all hear him tell me to take him. I'll take her. But no, I wouldn't really. <laughs> um, right. Um, okay. So there was a little bit of chat then. So I'll just read that out just because everybody hasn't seen it. Um, Abby on a pretend shoot day, would you go as far as putting the dog in the car? When Abby was talking about like getting used to the clothing, getting used to the, to the process. Um, Abby said, yes, definitely drive around the block and arrive back at home, carry on your day. So that's a really valuable point as well. And I think there's been loads of points that we've covered, even though we're talking about shoot days here, there's loads and loads you can take out of this for just any normal day. This could be the conversation about going, you know, to the to the park and the dog getting overexcited. What can we do? So Sue said, thank you to everyone for the excellent advice tonight. I'm going on my first shoot on Wednesday without my dog as he's only 18 months old. Perfect idea. I'm so grateful for all the advice and has just reinforced my decision to leave him at home. Looking forward to learning lots on Wednesday. Yeah, that's brilliant. And so that's exactly, you know, what I hope that lots of people get from this is, is, the, is the ability to think and have the, the process. And you've got all the experts here telling you how you can improve stuff, where to get the confidence to say yes to something or to no to something. That's absolutely brilliant. So I'm going to end it all for everybody now. Have a lovely evening and I shall see you all very, very soon. Good night. Thank you.